0: Welcome to The Strong Room, presented by Macmillan Estate Planning. I'm Herb Ham. On today's program, we continue our Legacy Builders series with special guest Ken Decker, author of the book, The Wealth Formula. Ken is a highly successful business owner, real estate investor, and devotes much of his time to coaching people on how to get control of their finances, build wealth, and create a legacy of stewardship and charity. Ken begins by talking about the circumstances that inspired him to write The Wealth Formula. Probably
1: around 10 years ago, my father passed away at the age of 72. And what I discovered was when I went to see his widow was his estate was in a mess. And he, he had credit card debt, a large mortgage on his home still, I didn't have sufficient insurance, Uh, I had to buy his burial platform and his wife couldn't afford to stay in the house after his death. And so it really tweaked a little heartstring in me that said, you know, I really don't want to leave that kind of legacy to my family. And so I started to research, started to read some books on the subject and uh, just became a student of the wealthy and, and learned that way.
0: So you're gathering all this information and Mm. yet the bridge to actually writing a book uh, will be its own process. Can you describe that? Yeah, it became a passion to to write a
1: book on the subject after I started developing the the wealth and also some changes in my personal life. Um, My wife and I were struggling in our marriage. Uh, We were struggling both financially and relationally. And so there needed to be a change. And so through that change process, I started to realize, you know what, my story is probably not that much different from many other people's stories. And so what could I do to make a change for the better, to empower people to to make change? And
0: the thought was, well, write a book. And in the book, it, it features characters And yet they face very real-life situations, which I find uh, personally a very refreshing contrast to some of the, frankly, very dry financial books that are out there. Yeah, I always knew that I wanted to write
1: a book that was a little different. Uh, Some of the books that I loved were like The Wealthy Barber uh, by David Chilton and uh, The Richest Man in Babylon. And all these books were written story format-wise with with a lesson Mm -hmm. built in. And so I started collecting the lessons that I wanted to teach people, and that would have filled maybe a book or two, not a book, sorry, a couple pages, and yet delivering that information in a dry format I didn't believe would create any change because people will get things logically, but
0: emotion makes people do things. We were talking about your approach of developing characters in the book, and uh, maybe you could uh, share with us who they are mm-hmm. and maybe some of the specific kind of challenges they face. sure well, David and Sarah
1: are a atypical couple, uh, both bringing to their relationship baggage because everyone has their past history of how they handled finances. Uh, what they learned from their parents or those people around them. And so they come into a marriage and they start knocking heads because they have different ways of handling money. And uh, David is much more okay with debt, and Sarah came from a background where debt was not a good thing. And so they they, they run into a mentor, and is, the mentor's name is Zane. And Zane coaches them through their struggles, and is quite an amazing assembly of really its, it's personal situations that I've seen either in my life, in my family's life, or those that I've coached or helped over the years. And I brought all those situations into a couple of fictitious characters and blended it so that people can really relate to the things that are happening because they're just so strange that
0: they can't be They can't be made up in other words because it's just you can't make this stuff up (laughs) so you're weaving in an interesting way fiction and non-fiction and what might be an example or two of a situation that really uh is a stressor for them
1: well one is uh david is paying his bills uh, but struggling to pay them, and he's, he's late on a number of things and starting to be late on his taxes and different things because when you start to get financially stressed, some people will take the attitude of, well, if I stick my head in the sand, then the debt doesn't exist, the problem doesn't exist. So he stopped filing his income taxes for quite a number of years because they always wanted money at the end because he was working hard to pay his bills, so he started taking on extra jobs and working part-time doing driving for a trucking company. And what this did was because both companies were taking tax but not recognizing that his income was increased because he had the second job, every year at the end of the year he had a large income tax bill waiting for him. And then he couldn't afford to pay that so he stopped filing taxes. So that was one of the
0: examples of what he'd run into and how he had to correct that. And I imagine during this We don't only have that situation putting on financial pressure but I'm sure you've experienced firsthand that financial pressure can put on so much pressure on a relationship. Oh, it's huge. It's it's like the adage,
1: um, you know, money, if everything's going well with money, money is maybe only five or ten percent of a relationship and when it's going poorly... It starts to become eighty ninety percent of the relationship because that's all you focus on that's all you talk about. it becomes a big issue, and when one of the one of the spouses spends money inappropriately, it becomes a big deal. Whereas if money's not a big deal and there's surplus, when somebody splurges a little bit, it's oh that's great, I'm glad you could do that for yourself as opposed to it becoming a huge problem. and when a car breaks down it If finances is a struggle, it's now not just a transportation emergency, it becomes a financial emergency on top of that. Whereas when money's going well and you've got an emergency account for those issues, and when the car needs new brakes, you simply take the money out of your emergency account pay for the brakes, you only have a half a day or a one day inconvenience, as opposed to a huge problem on
0: how do we pay for this. And this is when we look at at, at specifics then of how to approach these situations successfully and how to solve the problem. Is the establishment of the emergency account one of the very first and fundamental steps? It is, because what I found is
1: most people have a way of handling finances and they're taught about finances through their banking institution usually they come in with a problem like I did I had a problem my bills were starting to get too large it was stressing me I get a little bit of pain and I'm motivated by pain as a matter of fact approximately 90% of people are pain avoiders, so they, their motivation is to avoid pain. So if the pain gets too large, I've got too many debts, the creditors are calling me, I'm not making my payments on time, I'll go to the bank and I'll say, hey, can you relieve this pain? And they say, sure, we can do a consolidation loan. We can take all your high debts p- and high interest debts, put, roll them all into a nice loan, and maybe a line of credit or, or a personal loan at an affordable rate an affordable payment. And so that relieves the pain but it doesn't change my behavior. So I continue to spend in the same process because the pain has been relieved, and I do it again. And after three consolidation loans, you'd think this guy would learn, right? So then I start to go, okay, there's something wrong with the way I'm managing my money that I have to keep going to back to the bank. And the bank's typically very happy to help <laughs> me because their job is to make money for their shareholders. So their financial advice is to benefit their shareholders not necessarily to benefit me as a client although they're taking away my pain. What I do is I swing things around and I say okay let's not go to a line of credit or a credit card when we have an emergency that's no kind of emergency fund. What I want to go to is a cash supply. It's kind of like you have a separate account you pour money into that account until you reach the limit that you've set and then that stays there and then you can work at paying debt or investing or whatever and when an emergency comes you kind of it's kind of like break the glass in case of emergency you break that glass you take some money out i usually say don't have a debit card attached to it i don't have checks attached to it if you're a couple you might even want two signatures to be able to remove money out of it so it doesn't dwindle away by accident and then that can come out to pay for that emergency, and then you work at paying that back to grow your emergency fund again. And it gives a great sense of peace, especially for women. Women love security, and men typically, not all of them, but typically have a little more propensity for debt and risk than their spouse does. And so this is a relationship mender, just having that emergency fund. It allows you to get
0: control of your finances,
1: yes, and it's it's a little bit counterintuitive because people say, "Well, I've got a Visa or a Mastercard or something that's at twelve or eighteen percent, and why would I put money in a savings account where I'm going to make a half or a quarter percent interest when I'm paying all this debt?" Because we have good intentions, so we'll get our Visa card bill, and it maybe has uh, I don't know, let's say a hundred dollar. Uh, minimum payment and we go well i want to pay that off because i see all the interest on there i want to pay it off so i throw 300 or 500 or whatever i can afford on it and then life happens and you have an emergency it
0: goes back on your credit card ken decker is the author of the wealth formula we'll continue our conversation after this short break this is the strong room